imagine sitting in the park in the heat Stomach empty, starving to eat Palms are sweaty, heart starting to beat About to get beheaded cause you didn't take the mark of the beast Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens He's trying to alter our DNA by giving us vaccines These elite Satanists are the psychoists They preparing our bodies to accept the microchip Can you imagine walking into a Wells Fargo Not being able to withdraw money because you ain't got a barcode your right hand or your forehead if you don't take the mark of the beast you're gonna fall to the floor dead head cut off bodies squirming our own government acting like nazi germans they want us to live in fear filled with uncertainty one world government under one currency i can categorically say that this is end times this virus is breaking us down just like an enzyme there's pedophiles leaving men and women childrenless these politicians are dummies and the devil's a ventriloquist Stemming from Epstein's Island Gavin Newsom ain't your governor He's a tyrant He took away everything That makes us happy and vibrant And put a mask on us To keep us silent Can you imagine sitting in the park in the heat Stomach empty Starving to eat Palms are sweaty Heart starting to beat About to get beheaded Cause you didn't take the mark of the beast Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens He's trying to alter our DNA By giving us vaccines These elite Satanists Are the psychoists to accept the microchip. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Josh and Jason Monday Christian and Conspiracy Podcast Show. I'm your host, Josh Monday. If you don't know me, I'm a Christian rapper, devoted husband, father, and army veteran. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host. He's a Christian, devoted husband, and father. What's up, Jason? Uh, good afternoon, everybody. How you doing? Uh, how you doing, Josh? How you doing, Tim? Uh, this should be a good show. Let's start it up. Yes, sir. It's going to be a great show uh, for you guys. We have a special guest for you, best-selling author Tim Cohen. Um, I actually saw him on a another show, and I was like, I need to track him down. I started looking, looking for emails, anything I could do. And uh, he is actually a, the best-selling author of uh, the book, The Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. Uh, you can go to his website, www.prophecyhouse.com. That's how I got a hold of him. Thank God I got a hold of him. And we got him on the show. How you doing, Tim? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks, Josh. Nice <laughs> intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we're going to have, honestly, right. guys, we're going to do an amazing show. Uh, you know, I've I've done a show on the Royal Family, guys. You guys can kind of go back and check that out. Um, he's going to be, uh, I, I believe, if, you, if you'd like to do that on this show, um, the subject would be uh, King Charles, is he the Antichrist? Or he has proof that he is the Antichrist. And uh, I would like him to go over that. That would be, that would be amazing. And um, I'll go over a few uh, verses real quick before we start. Um, so first Peter three twelve, it says for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as we study the black nobility, the committee of 300, uh, you know, all these, uh, Freemasons and all this stuff, you guys know that they're, they're definitely doing evil. Okay. So I have Isaiah five 20 through 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Okay, so th this these kind of point towards these 
the, uh, these elites or these powerhouses or these new world orders of how they're actually running society. You know, they're, they're calling evil good and good evil. We're seeing it all around the world. And um, I just want to let uh, Tim take over, do his thing, and I'll have some good questions for you at the end. I know you present like an amazing message. And um, yeah, I would like you to to get into it, Tim, please. All right, Josh, uh, I don't know if anybody's seeing me, but let me share my screen to start and I'll just give a little background on this book that I'm going to show. In fact, I'll start with showing ProfCS's website. No problem. How'd you stumble upon all this stuff? Because you, you you give a lot of information and you do back it up with 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 scripture and uh, with actual historical, historical events that have been going on. And it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty good, man. I, I liked, I liked a lot of stuff that you were saying. Thank you. So I didn't stumble upon it, which might be a confusing answer, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you. So I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy, uh, class of 1988, a long time ago. Thank you for your service, brother. Yeah, I was in the army too. Thank you. So thank, thank you for yours. Thank you, bro. Thank you for your music you. too. That <laughs> <It> was great. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> God is great. That was worth your service alone right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, 1986, I was raised a secular Jew, basically. And in November of 1986, I became a Christian. I won't go into my testimony here, not tonight. But um, months after that, I asked God to show me who and what was being spoken of. in Revelation 13, after I'd read through um, the New Testament more than once, through a good portion of the Old Testament, I got to this word imagery in Revelation 13. So I'll talk about that, but that's on the front cover here of the Antichrist and Cup of Tea. And that's not something that I made up. I'll show the uh, book in a larger image in a moment. But folks, I just wanted you to see by showing you this, Frosty House's website. That's where you'll be able to see my things. I have a lot of books coming in the next uh, two to three years. I'll have somewhere in the vicinity of well, by the time I'm done, somewhere in the vicinity of 40 books out, Wow! Uh, several of them, most of them having taken more than a decade to write. Mm. There are, there's one out, there's another that goes to press this month, was out in 1998, so the second edition goes to press this month, that's of the Antichrist Cup of Tea, then uh, 2018, North Korea ran in the coming World War, was published, so let me show you uh, some easier to see images now, and then we'll talk a bit about this here. Okay, perfect. I assume you can see this. Yeah, I yeah, see I can see it. I'm looking at all this. Yeah, I'm reading here back there. I'm reading here about Tim's Cohen's books. <laughs> all right, Perfect. so um, there's this very strange imagery in Revelation chapter 13, which is of a creature that's stated to have feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like the mouth of a lion. Doesn't exist in nature. So in 19, uh, well, or early 1987, I was asking God to show me who and what was spoken of. Uh, in that chapter, a lot of people today think, could it be a camera, you know, a generic, genetic hybrid or something produced by mad scientists? In the past, they looked at it and thought, well, it's just something that's metaphorical, maybe metaphysical, you know, symbolic. Uh, but they didn't really expect it necessarily to be literal. In fact, I've, I don't know that I've ever read any person who commented on it uh, in history who've said they expected it to be precisely this, to be literal. Mm. Um, other than more recent people talking about a chimera or something like that. At any rate, Revelation 13, it also states that the dragon, 
gives this beast his power, throne, and great authority. So that's where I started. I asked God, okay, who's being talked about here? What's being talked about here? And I asked him to show me. And within a month, I had this heraldic achievement, this coat of arms that you see on the screen uh, in my possession. So I'll talk a little bit about that, but this is the start of the hard evidence that God led me to, that he provided to identify the Antichrist. And when I say the Antichrist, we know biblically that there are many Antichrists historically, right? Yep. So John talks about that in his epistles. But there's also one individual who is to be over a global government for three and a half years preceding Christ's return in Armageddon. And that's the person who Christians typically talk about as the Antichrist, if they're going to use that terminology. In Revelation 13, that individual is described as the first beast. There are two beasts in that chapter. I described you know, the imagery of one of them, which is the beast of feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion, that arises out of the sea. The second beast of that same chapter uh, arises out of the land and has two horns like a uh, two horns like a lamb, speaks like a dragon. That's the description to that second beast. Theologians, prophecy teachers have quite commonly understood that second beast to be the false prophet, mm -hmm. and this first beast to be the Antichrist. Yeah. And then when we get to verse 18 of Revelation 13, it tells us, Here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So before I go further into this imagery, um, let's talk just a little bit about that verse, and then, I'll, and then I'll go back to my background a little bit and how I got started on this. Okay. So let's let's have a look at that imagery and i'll just pull it up in my browser here okay no problem Ding. isn't there a red dragon in that too yes there is yeah, but that's in revelation that's crazy yeah. Yeah. yeah and actually it's described in revelation 12 so we'll we'll show that verse also so revelation 13 18 it says here is wisdom let him who has understanding Calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, when we talk about the beast, here's the full chapter. This is the start of the chapter up through verse 4, okay. uh, and you, you'll see in it. Do you want to pull it up on the screen, or? Um, is it not up on the screen? No, 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 no it's, it's still, 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 on the still on the prophecy house. I don't know if you wanted to be Oh, I must, have, I must <laughs> have shown the window instead of the screen without realizing <laughs> Let me uh let me correct that if I can. No problem. Um, yeah, I figured you probably can. wanted to have something. I don't think they saw the imagery either. We can only see the uh the smaller one, yeah. But yeah. Wow, I I wish I'd realized. That's okay. I'm, let's see here. Um how I can do the screen itself. There we go. So you guys are gonna get a weird mirror mirror effect here, I believe, for a moment. Perfect. You see it now? We can yep. see it. Yes, sir. This is great. Okay. Ah, let me go back to the imagery for the cover of the book. <laughs> uh, and there it is. That's what I meant to show everybody. Okay, perfect. Yeah, like a bear, go. body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. All right. To whom the dragon gives his power, throne, and great authority. So this is the heraldic achievement or coat of arms, folks, about which I was speaking. And then the passage that I initially read here 
Revelation 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man, and his number is 666. That particular beast is described as like a leopard, feet like the feet of a bear, mouth like the mouth of a lion. And then it tells us the dragon gives this beast his power throne and great authority. And in the prior chapter, Revelation 12, that dragon gets a little more detail. It's described as a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and torn, having seven heads and ten horns, seven diadems on its heads. That's actually all a description of that imagery I was showing you, that coat of arms, uh, which is described in the book. So the translation here is not the greatest, but the, the two things go together. At any rate, this dragon is then subsequently described as the devil. Mm -hmm. The devil has come down to you. And you see Satan. Yep. So the great dragon cast out serpent bold, the devil and Satan. So in other words, this is a symbol of Satan himself, this fiery red dragon. And when we get into Revelation 13, Satan is the one giving this beast his power, throne, and great authority. And then in verse 18 of Revelation 13, it tells us, here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for his number. It's the number of a man and his number is 666. So there are two individuals spoken of in this verse. One is the person who has wisdom who does the calculation for the real Antichrist. So not some misidentification. And there have been a lot of misidentifications historically, right? Even in our current yeah. generation, there are plenty. People yeah. out there calling uh, Barack Obama or Trump or uh, more recently Francis president because he was recently saying that the world needs a a global government, a new world order, mm -hmm. you know, publicly talking about a single global government. So people in the last few days started looking at him more saying, could he be the Antichrist? Well, none of them are the Antichrist. I'm giving the real evidence here tonight for everyone. So pay attention, tune in, mm -hmm. share this with people. I'm going to show you the actual proof biblically. Right. of who the actual antichrist is the one who's going to be over a global government in other words there are lots of junior antichrists that's not who we're talking about we're talking about the one who's going to be over a global government uh okay. leading to armageddon and so forth for three and a half years throughout the period of the great tribulation so in this verse there are two individuals the person who does the calculation for the real antichrist and then ultimately there'll be lots of people who do that right they'll learn uh the information from the initial person and then they'll share it mm -hmm. and then uh, there's the person who is a man but also a beast he's both so this is the point i want to initially make it's the number of the beast for it is the number of a man mm -hmm. anyone who's out there trying to do a calculation for any human being it doesn't matter who it is if that person doesn't have the imagery of that beast that we saw associated with them and in context, this is the first beast of the chapter, this verse. Mm -hmm. If that imagery isn't associated with the man in question, it makes no difference how the calculation turns out. The calculation in that circumstance is meaningless, even if it works out to 666. Because before it's the number of the man, the person who's going to be the Antichrist, the one who's over a global government, it's the number of that beast. Is that making sense? Yeah, it is. Okay. And plus it has to have that imagery that you showed for it to be true too. So if it doesn't. Well, that, yeah, that imagery is the beast. That's my yeah. point. Yeah. 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 So in other words, 
if this beast with uh feet like a bear yeah uh mouth like the mouth of a lion uh body like the body of a leopard if that's not present for the man in question don't yeah. bother to do the calculation you're wasting your time and everyone <laughs> else's literally totally yeah true and so many people have done that and they've always been wrong about who the antichrist is across the board every time so in this case the imagery is present i'm showing it tonight on the cover of the antichrist and cup of tea it happens to be the official heraldic achievement unique under international law to the man to whom it was granted so we're going to talk about that here in a moment but coming back to this uh verse there's another point to be made this number 666 you know, we see that typically written as three sixes like this, or people might spell it out in words. Uh, normally in the Greek language, uh, numbers would be also written in the form of words. Same thing in modern Israeli Hebrew. That's what you would see. But in the underlying Greek text of Revelation 13, 18, it's not given in the form of words. It's given in the form of three Greek letters. A single letter to which the number 600 is assigned a second letter to which the number 60 is assigned, and a third letter to which the number six is assigned. Mm -hmm. Because it's given that way, and it's one of only two numbers I know about uh, off the top of my head in the New Testament that's specified in that manner. All the others, uh, maybe all of the others, are written out of the form of Greek words mm -hmm. rather than uh, using a particular numeric system. So what I'm saying is that the Greek text identifies for us the system on which to do the calculation and uh, hopefully you'll see this do you see my screen now yeah we'll see it all right come back to this um i want to bring up a calculation and i don't ever know what direction i'm going here <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right here we go this is a this is a page from the uh, first edition of the antichrist and cup tea published in 1998 so i began the book while i was still at the air force academy you know, after God showed me that initial information, the coat of arms. Mm -hmm. So how that came about is I prayed and then I had a, a lunch on a Shabbat afternoon, a Sabbath, after, Sabbath afternoon with a, a local Colorado Springs pastor of a Hebrew Christian or Messianic congregation. And he pulled out uh, during the lunch, just randomly, literally, <laughs> he pulled out during the lunch a, a partial copy of an unofficial version of that coat of arms that you saw on the front cover of the Antichrist in a cup of tea. Uh -huh. And then in addition to that, uh, he pulled out the English name calculation, the same one you see here on this page. Oh, wow. But just the English portion. Now, he was a Martin Marietta engineer uh, before that, and he and some of his engineer friends created a computer program, and they threw into that the names of prominent world leaders and royalty and so forth. And... Uh, he had realized the system on which to do the calculation at that point, he and his engineer friends. Uh, I presume that they looked at the Greek text and saw that. I don't know. He never told me whether that's how they figured it out. But at any rate, one name got spat out at a 666, and it was Charles, Prince of Wales, mm. or Prince Charles of Wales. It doesn't matter how you order it. Later, we also had the Hebrew calculation for exactly the same title, Nasik Charles of Wales, which is what you see up here mm -hmm. in the Hebrew. That I'm can you I assume you can see the mouse yeah, here we can see it, yeah. Moving across this. So Nasik Charles Wales. Uh both languages, the exact same numeric system, and I'll describe the system a little further in a moment, calculates exactly 666. Mm. Two completely different sets of numbers, though. 
two different languages. The system is sequential. So in the Greek text, the original system came from the Hebrew, which is what you're actually looking at here on the screen. The original system was a Hebrew system, and it was transferred historically before the first century AD to the Greek language. But it was transferred sequentially, not phonetically. And that's a very important point. Um, so the original system cut off at 400 because there aren't more than 22 characters in the Hebrew language. Mm -hmm. And this is the sequential lettering in Hebrew, just as it is in English, you know, ABC, it's a sequential lettering. The system is sequential, one through nine, 10 through 90, 100 through 400. When it was transferred to Greek sequentially, they expanded the system to include 500 through 900 because Greek has more characters mm -hmm. than English or Hebrew. They didn't have English, of course, in those days, but they expanded it. It's the Greek version of the system used to specify the number in uh, Revelation 13, 18. But there's a very weird thing about Greek. You see that it's got two sets of glyphs. Yeah. Or two glyphs next to each value. Yeah. Right? You know, in English, if we had uppercase A and lowercase A, yep. uppercase B, lowercase B, the sequence would remain the same in the letters. And so the number assigned would be the same between A and lowercase A or B and lowercase B, right? Yep. A would be one no matter the case, B would be two no matter the case, et cetera. Hebrew doesn't have upper or lowercase uh, generally. It's got cursive and non-cursive characters, but not upper or lowercase case, uh, upper or lowercase. Greek is different. At some point, the uh, sequencing breaks down actually in the Greek. So this number six, for example, it's the lowercase version that's used to specify the six and 666 in the underlying Greek text. Mm -hmm. of revelation 13 18 there is no equivalent to it for the for the capital side if you wanted to call it that yeah but the other thing is you could take the same name or title in greek and if you mix the case when you spell it you literally get different numbers assigned from the greek language because it's the greek language itself is not perfectly sequential between the one case and the other case yeah so if you calculate Prince Charles of Wales, and I don't know how to pronounce it in Greek or even how it would be spelled in Greek off the top of my head, uh -huh. but if you did it all on one side here is Prince Charles of Wales. Uh -huh. If you change to the other side for any of those letters to the lowercase equivalent, you get a completely different calculation. Okay. What that means is you actually cannot use the Greek language to do the calculation. I'll use the Hebrew. Well, no, you're forced to use any other language except for Greek. In other words, you can take this system because of the precedent when the uh, Greek language was used to specify 666 in the inspired, you know, book of Revelation, the original text from which the English is translated. Because it's sequential, you can sequentially transfer this system to any language on earth. Mm -hmm. And you can then calculate the values of words or names in that language with no tampering. That's very important. You don't have to make it up as you go. In other words, you don't have to transliterate or translate. So the title Prince Charles of Wales of that system transferred sequentially, and we do cut it off at W, X, Y, and Z. So I'll come back to that. Works out to exactly 666. Mm, Mathematically by itself, that's you know pretty close to impossible. You can realistically say that's pretty much impossible with this number of characters involved in the name. A, a legitimate name, one you didn't go contrive or tamper with. The exact same title as it's spelled in modern Israeli Hebrew. So no tampering. Though you do have to transliterate uh, Wales as uh, Wales. 
And you do have to transliterate Charles as Charles. Okay. Nasik is an actual Hebrew word for prince. It's a specific word in heir apparent to throne in this case. The this character that the mouse is over is mem, and it's it stands in for of. You'd say ma for oh. of in Hebrew. Okay. So Nasik Charles of Wales of Wales. So there is some transliteration in Hebrew, but there's not tampering here because this is how it's spelled in the modern Israeli press. Yeah. Okay. The same title. And that works out to exactly 666 using just the original numbers yeah. from the original system. Mm. If is that's this, all you had. Is this like Hebrew gematria a little bit? Is that, is that Well, it is Hebrew gematria. Okay. But yeah, it's I'm not just... what you would typically pull up on the internet. This is a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is different. Yeah. The, okay. Well, it's it's. It's basically the same, but it's the inspired version. In other words, there's lots of versions out there that aren't actually completely accurate. Yeah. I say this one is because this is the one that corresponds to scripture. Yeah, which is great. That's the best to use. In this case, Revelation sure. 13, 18. But yeah. at any rate, the W, X, Y, and Z here, we cut it off with the original system here because we can't use the Greek to do the calculations yeah. in the Greek language. So this is just how God showed us this should work, but we cut it off. You know, with the, we don't use those expanded numbers, in other words, for the calculation, the same reason we can't use the Greek language itself mm -hmm. for the calculation. So if mathematically all we had was these two calculations of that same title in two different languages, the original one with no tampering with the spelling at all, and then the Hebrew one using the original numbering system with no transference, you know, as it's spelled in the modern Israeli press, if that's all you had, you are in the realm at this point of impossibility. Yeah. For sure. You can say this cannot happen, mm -hmm. but you're looking at it right there in your face. Yeah. Okay. That's enough then to, we were authorized to do this because as I showed, um, excuse me. It's okay. As I showed, we have the imagery here. Yes. For Prince Charles. This is his official heraldic achievement granted to him. Uh, in July 1969, that's when it was first unveiled to the world when he was invested as Prince of Wales. And that was the most widely viewed event uh, in the history of the world at the time. An estimated television audience of 500 million plus, half a billion people watching that event. 1969. It was only rivaled by the landing on the moon that same month. Yeah. And um, so I'll go into some more detail on this, but some of it is described in the old testament so i'll come to that also and, and the book but, of daniel yeah okay but and I, all of these symbols actually are described in scripture did it change i won't when go he, into all of can, that can i ask you a question did it change when he became king did anything change or did it, did it does it stay the same excuse me i'll come back to that question okay no problem there are there are if you count i think there's 10 heads on there too or maybe like everything that you everything you read in revelation is precisely illustrated on this wow. but let me say this this was created by the College of Heraldry in London with the top herald, who's known as the Garter Herald King, like the uh, who is the top Garter, herald right? on, yep, for the Order of the Garter. He's the top herald yes. in the world. And there are international laws that apply to this. In other words, if they wanted to make this look like Revelation or Daniel or that kind of thing, they're very constrained. They couldn't actually intentionally do it. Oh, they have to go, they have to go with as, as each person in the bloodline goes up they have to add to it right and then it builds into this right like they can't just make it up it has to be actually like it probably started out as that little like middle piece and then they added this like the top piece the crown as as the bloodline keeps going right and 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 
Is, wouldn't that be correct? It's not going to just sort of, yeah, sort of. So if each parent has their own coat of arms then they would take portions of the symbols from each of those, yeah, combine them and then add unique symbols for the individual to whom the coat of arms has been granted. And I'm speaking in this case of a Royal mm-hmm. coat of arms. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is some is of the, the iron cross on top of that thing too. Yes. Like on the top multiple of that crown. Times. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. they're actually German. It's on here multiple times. In fact. Well, see, the, you, you look at that. There's so much stuff on there. That's just, they're wow. actually, they're actually German though, bro. They're not, they're not even I know, uh, I know British. That, they're, that. The, the Saxon Gotha is, is what they're actually from. So they, that's probably why you're going to see that on there, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'll come back to the lineage too, but oh, yeah, for sure. Please. Yeah. But every symbol on here has specific meaning in heraldry. And there are some symbols that shouldn't be on here, like this crown right here. That should never have been on here. And I'll explain why. Until now, it shouldn't have been on here. So Charles is king. That should have been the king. That, okay, that should have been the part where they had the king. Okay. That is the king's crown. Wow. Or the or the queen's crown. The sovereign's crown. That's to whom it belongs. It should never have been on his coat of arms as prince, but it was. Mm. Why? So uh, anyway, there are a lot of things to address here. So without getting bogged down, this uh, creature here is normally a lion or a lion leopard for England. It doesn't ordinarily uh, represent something else. It never has feet like a feet of a bear. That's unique to Charles. There's never been this beast in heraldry before. So they modified it to have feet, feet like the feet of a bear. There is a graven cast iron in appearance version of this, two versions actually, that were shown at his investiture. They were hung, uh, one over the Queen's Gate, where Charles was subsequently presented after being invested, and the other over the Eagle Gate, where he entered the castle initially and then subsequently exited the castle following the investiture. And on both of those versions where you see this, what's called the Dexter Beast here, the claws are literally bear's claws. Mm. It's very obvious. And I'm showing photos of that in the second edition. I didn't have those. They weren't available for the first edition to show. Yeah. They're actually pretty hard to get a hold of in the past. Uh, so, in fact, they were really only photographed by private individuals, you know, photos that were usable. Yeah. And uh, now with the modern internet, they, they finally got shared. So, uh, this is beast of feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. Now, those are similes. The, the book of Revelation is not saying feet of a bear, body of a leopard, mouth of a lion. What it's saying instead is like, like, like. In other words, they're similes. They remind us of that when we see it. And then it actually has this red dragon on it from Revelation 12 and 13. That is the red dragon of scripture. You can trace this particular uh, version of a red dragon back to the flags or the standards of the Roman cohorts that occupied ancient Britannia and then from there, ancient Wales. And then from there, the Roman cohorts occupying ancient Judea. John would have seen this on the flags. Mm. You know, the, the version that led to this. Wow. on the flags, the standards of the Roman courts as they went into the battle and that kind of thing. So, so John, he probably be, saw John the precursor to this. That. Yeah, John would be familiar Present, with that picture is what you're saying, right? What's yes. And I, well, yeah. it didn't look precisely like this, but the thing that led to this, you know, is where it came from. And uh, John saw that. And so I've documented that in the second edition, the Antichrist and Cup D, given the actual source material for that. But the point is, this is the red dragon that represents Satan today. In 1953, this dragon was adopted as the national symbol of Wales, even though they'd been using it for many hundreds of years. It became their national symbol. Mm. In 1958, 
Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II, Charles' mother, she created, quote-unquote, Charles as Prince of Wales. And she told the Welsh people that when he was older, she would present him to them in a formal investiture. That investiture took place in July 1969. In those 11 intervening years, this heraldic achievement was created to Charles. And it was first shown to the world at his investiture. So this coat of arms, as you see it on the cover, was shown on the service, the order of service at the investiture that was handed to everybody, the pamphlets, in other words. It was on plates, you know, saucers and uh, cups. Um, China, if you want to call it that, sold at the investiture. It was uh, shown also on various medallions, you know, silver medals, bronze medals, portions of it sold at the investiture, uh, often numbered, you know, like they'd make a thousand of a particular one. You can, if you're fortunate, buy one. But at any rate, that's when the world first saw this. Charles was facing this dragon when the coronet was put on his head by his mother to coronate him Prince of Wales. And because the red dragon was the national symbol of Wales at the time, and you saw it literally everywhere in the audience when he was invested. And then he and his mother were both directly facing it on opposite sides of the castle, on castle walls, hung on huge white sheets, basically banners that had tassels at the end. And in the center of them were this giant red dragon in each wow. case. Wow. So the queen was literally looking at a series of those red dragon banners on how the were, castle wall behind Charles. And he was facing another series behind her. How was the Church and, of England mm -hmm. not, not noticing this type of stuff? You know, she's she's supposed to be like at the top of the Church of England and, and we're seeing red dragons. As, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's crazy that they're not even noticing this type of stuff. Well, the the Archbishop of Canterbury, who is the the uh, the spiritual head of that church has been appointed by the British monarch historically. Yeah. And without exception throughout the lives of Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Charles and and Charles grandparents. Yeah. They were all apostates including the Archbishop of Canterbury today is an apostate, all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh but today Charles as king like his mother beforehand before she passed away is the titular head of the Anglican Protestant Church on Earth. The real question is, how is it that no one in that church is saying, no, we're not going to accept the Antichrist as of our course. titular head? Because that's what they've done. Yeah. And course. they don't even realize it. Of course, yeah. Well, so, yeah, what does Ichdian mean? Does it's anybody a, know what that means? Yeah. I do. I'll, I'll tell you. But I want to continue with this imagery. I'll, I'll describe everything Keep on going. here briefly. Yeah. All right, go ahead. So this beast in Revelation 13, the beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. When we come back to this uh, verse, and actually Revelation 13, whoops, sorry. Okay. It tells us that he's going to have control over a global government for a time, times and a half a time, which we know in context is uh, three and a half years. Let's see if I can find it here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it tells us that in the prior chapter. How long is it? Let's see here. So Sorry, I think we. Uh, I think most of my audience knows about the three and a half years, so it should be good. Okay, well they're going to follow after him, and uh, we find out in Revelation eleven and yeah. other passages, including in Daniel, what the duration yeah. is: three and a half years. Of course, yeah. At any rate, uh, coming back to this, in Daniel chapter seven, the same individual who's to rule 
for three and a half years is described with totally different imagery as a little horn of the eyes of man. And this unicorn on Charles' coat of arms has human eyes, which is unusual. Ordinarily, it would be a round uh, eye with no visible sclera or eye white, uh, kind of like you'd see on a horse. You know, the portion of the eye that you'd see would just be round and it would be totally dark. But in the case of his unicorn, it actually has human eyes. And Charles refers to this unicorn as, quote unquote, my little horn. And when he visits the United States, our Secret Service's uh, code name for him is Unicorn. Mm. That's what they call Charles. When he commanded a minesweeper uh, and then a uh, flew a chopper, a helicopter for the RAF uh, in the military, his jumpsuit had a patch on the shoulder, uh, which had the Red Dragon of Wales on it, and his call sign was Red Dragon. Mm. So he wow. refers to my little horn. He's called Unicorn in the United States. His call sign was Red Dragon in the UK. <laughs> wow. All of these beasts actually directly represent him in heraldry. So around the necks of each of these, you'll notice this thing that looks like three horns plucked up by the roots. Yep. Mm. Three horns with a band at the top. Yeah. Horizontally. Wow. That's known as the label of the eldest son in heraldry. And it specifically represents Charles. For example, if he had not been the eldest son, let's say he was uh, the second oldest, he would have had a different symbol here. Mm. But as the eldest son, it's around the neck of the species, feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. It's around the unicorn's neck. It's also around the neck of the red dragon. Yeah, That means each of these beasts explicitly represents him mm. on this coat of arms. The fact that it's around the neck of the red dragon, which represents Satan, suggests that the red dragon is Charles, mm. that or that Satan possesses him, in other words. Oh. That's what they're signifying here. The other thing is, you'll notice that the overall coat of arms has its own head. That's where this helm is at the top, in the center. This is the sovereign helm. Right beneath it, you'll see the same label of the eldest son. With that middle horn obscured a little bit by one of the crowns okay mm -hmm. what that means is that this overall thing this overall heraldic achievement or coat of arms corporately as a corporate entity represents charles and in heraldry in an occult way they view this thing as living as a spiritual entity if you will mystical in a mystical way so this helm was granted to charles from the start and that suggests that it was always intended for him to be on the throne. I actually never thought he needed to be, mm -hmm. to be clear about that. But Daniel 7 talks about, and other passages talk about, there being 10 horns or 10 kings, right, out of this base. A horn can be conical, you know, shaped like a cone, as we see on the unicorn's head here. It can be shaped like a chemistry vial or flask, like you see here. At the bottom of the uh, label of the eldest son, these three prongs, if you want to call them three horns plucked up by the roots, that's what these are. They're three horns. Mm. It can be shaped like an elephant's tusk. The Greek text, when it translates the word, you know, into horn, that Greek word means all three of these shapes. And so on the helm, you basically have seven horns forming the bars that are shaped a bit like elephant's tusks for that sovereign helm. Right beneath it, this overall corporate head of the coat of arms, you've got three more horns plucked up by the roots, 10 horns, three of which are plucked by the plucked up by the root symbolized, right? Mm -hmm. 
Now there are 10 lion leopard bears in the center of this. Normally they're just lions or lion leopards. These four in the very center on the shield of Wales, that's what this is called, represent uh, the nation of Wales, but they're here because Charles became Prince of Wales. The other six are on the Royal Shield, which is the Shield of England. These are normally called the Lions of England in heraldry, and sometimes they're represented as lion leopards. On Charles' heraldic achievement, there are 10 of them instead of six, and they're all lion leopard bears. Now, in the Old Testament, we read about the Lions of Tarshish, and I conclude in this book that Tarshish is England. Now, the two primary uh, arguments for Tarshish's identification uh, historically are um, Gibraltar and England. Some people will, will argue for other locations. I take it to be England. And so these are the lion leopards, if you will, of Tarshish. This harp represents Ireland. It's the Davidic harp. They took the design from the Arch of Titus, which was a portion of the temple that the Romans carried away when they destroyed the temple. And so Ireland adopted this harp as their national symbol, and it's on this coat of arms. I told you this lion or lion leopard would normally represent England, but in Charles' case, it's the lion leopard bear. The unicorn represents Scotland ordinarily. The red dragon is the national symbol of Wales. So in other words, you have the coronations of the United Kingdom represented here. And then between these 10 lion leopard bears in the center, you also have the offspring of England, meaning you could compass Canada, New Zealand, Australia, the United States, other nations that are the offspring of the United Kingdom historically. But uh, all of this symbolism is there between Daniel and Revelation. Now, you're supposed to read these things from top to bottom, left to right, a royal coat of arms like this, a lot like a book. It actually tells a story. The symbols do. There's an awful lot I'm not going to be able to talk about tonight, but every single detail on this has meaning. Not one bit of it is random. For example, when they put a lengthy tail on one of these beasts rather than a short one, when it's long like this, they're actually signifying the amount of occult power or witchcraft wow. Wow. that the beast possesses. Wow. And the it's chain. It's all that meaning. I see the chain right there too, like holding down Scotland. It looks like. Is that the Stuart dynasty, the, the unicorn? I heard that backs up. The, I don't know. I've, I've just heard of the unicorn being the Stuart dynasty. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or maybe I'm off. No, it does relate. Yes. And the dragon was last put on a royal coat of arms several centuries ago and it was under the Tudors. Mm. So it's the first time in uh, wow. a number of centuries that the red dragon has been on any uh, British coat of arms, you know, other than being breakdown. adopted by Wales. I, I love the symbol. breakdown, man. Thank you. This is great. That's some, so, I love this stuff, bro. <laughs> so your brother asked me about Ictian. Uh Jason did. So you'll notice it's also at the base of this symbol with three ostrich feathers. That's what these are. Three ostrich feathers with a coronet around them. And then it's got Ictian right uh, below that, right? So Ictian is Welsh or German, and depending on which language it is, it translates as I serve or your man. And this badge is called the Badge of the Black Prince. This shield between the Ick and Dian is the shield of the Black Prince and also the shield of the Duchy of Cornwall. It's got 15 gold coins on it or bezants. Um, I think I'm counting that right. But anyway, these were Crusader coins. And so it's reading, I, the Black Prince, serve. 
That's what it really means. I, the Black Prince, serve, or your man, the Black Prince. But it, it reads, I, the Black Prince, serve the Red Dragon, Satan. That's wow. what it means. That's what it's saying. It goes right in a row, left to right. You're right. You <laughs> he serves the right. devil. Yeah. It's, it's basically telling us he serves the devil. Why the Black Prince? Well, the Black Prince was the founding prince of Wales of the Order of the Garter. Yep. And that order is the oldest continually existing order of chivalry or knighthood in the world. Yes. It was founded in 1348 by Edward yeah. III and Edward the Black Prince, who were the uh, British monarch and the Prince of Wales of the day. Wow. And Edward the Black Prince wasn't, uh, you know, he was white, Caucasian like you and I. But because he dressed all in black and was, you know, supposedly viewed as a feared military commander in Europe, they called him the Black Prince. And these were symbols attributed to him originally. Charles wears a gold signet ring on one of his fingers. He's been wearing it since uh, before he married Diana to this yeah. day. And the symbol on that signet, signet ring is this one, the Ichdian with the three ostrich feathers and the coronet. That's what's on it. Wow, I so he wears that everywhere he goes. He identifies himself as the Black Prince who serves the devil yeah. everywhere he goes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's a lot of there's so, a lot here. So an order of garter I've, I've heard. I don't know if it's true. Are are on top of Freemasonry. Uh, also, like at the top of Freemasonry, at the top of the Rosicrucians. Uh, and then I heard that uh, you know Prince Charles would also be at the or actually King Charles. We also be at the top of the Committee of Three Hundred. Is is that is that true? Yeah, so there are uh, multiple things that he's over through multiple orders of chivalry and other entities like the Committee of 300. Yeah. The Garter, of the Order of the Garter, because it's the most powerful and oldest order of knighthood in the world, is actually mm. on Charles' heraldic achievement. That is this belt that you see yeah. that goes around the royal shield between all of the beasts. Yeah. At the heart, actually, of the coat of arms, if you want to say that, almost at the very heart of it, encircling all this stuff. That garter has two rows of 169 gold buckles each, the actual one, you know, not the illustration that you see here. Yeah. The actual garter of the order garter has uh, two rows of 169 gold buckles each or 13 times 13 twice. Ooh. One row for the sovereign, one row, row for the uh, Prince of Wales. By birth, they're the two highest ranking knights of the order of the garter, wow. always. So yeah. that was Queen Elizabeth II and then Prince Charles as Prince of Wales. Was right now in it's yeah. yeah now it's king charles iii and william as prince yes. of wales yeah and so william has not been invested he's only been uh quote-unquote created as prince of wales he hasn't had a formal investiture as such yet mm. and just to be clear folks william and harry both have their own heraldic uh achievements their own coats of arms they do not have this symbolism either one of them and they never will yeah. It's unique to Charles and our international law. Also, neither of them has the English name calculation that I showed. And yeah. let's look at that again, and then I'll come back to this imagery a little bit here. Yeah, he had William actually get born on the summer solstice. Did, did, did you ever hear that? Like he he wanted him born on that exact day. Not saying it means that he's it just, you know, it's just like, you know, that's the witch's day, you know, and, you know, stuff like that. I thought it was interesting that he did that. Well, they so, do a lot of occult things, you know, where Diana course. died. Diana uh, died at the Delma Tunnel there in France. Yes. That was actually a location of uh, ritual sacrifice for witchcraft historically, where oh, they would man. sacrifice the goddess of the wood. I think, oh. Okay. Diana, the name Diana is the patron, it's the name of the patron goddess of witchcraft. Yep. Mm. She was sacrificed, in other words, where she died. Do, do you think that It was she an occult sacrifice. Yeah, maybe she found out they were doing all this occult stuff and, and, and then they just offed her, you know? 
you wanted to get yeah but they chose uh, that's what i'm saying they chose the location of course yeah yeah yeah. it was all it was all timed so it it was a sick thing to do but that's what they did yeah and uh i agree all right so coming back to this so between daniel and revelation you actually have a lot of this symbolism here the rest of it is actually described in scripture as well and i actually give the references uh in the antichrist and the cup of tea and i break down all of these symbols in even greater detail so for example you also see the fleur-de-lis all over this coat of arms you mentioned the iron cross in fact the british monarchy is the monarchy and particularly charles uh specifically genealogically the nearest genealogical relevance would be uh, being the monarchy of England, um, Germany, France, and Greece. Charles' father is Greek. But in fact, uh, Prince Charles descends from virtually every, well, he does descend, I think, from every royal house of any significance in the history of the world. He also descends from ancient Roman emperors, the ancient pharaohs of Egypt, the ancient Assyrian and Babylonian kings, yeah, the ancient king of the north, the ancient king of the uh, south, or the uh, Seleucid and Ptolemaic uh, dynasties rulers, some of them. Mm. He also descends from Muhammad. Yeah, he, wow. he's, in a, he's of that same lineage. He's Jordan's King Hussein or Saddam Hussein before he was killed. In other words, he could claim to be the successor to Muhammad for other reasons, for this, for that lineage and other reasons. Mm. And then he claims to descend from Israel's King David yep. officially. That's the British idea. monarchy officially claims that Elizabeth II was coronated queen of thy people, Israel, quote unquote. They officially claim to sit upon the throne of David. Mm-hmm. That's printed on Queen Elizabeth II's official lineage published in London. And that is offered, folks, by prophecy. Yes, you can actually buy that lineage, a copy of the chart. It's large and it's small print. You can get it from Prophecy House with the book. Mm-hmm. Just see so where it's available to actually see it directly. It's documented in the book, but you can actually have a copy of it. And uh, and guys, Tim does this for free, okay? I'm not paying him. So if you guys could, <laughs> when you're listening to this, please uh, support him, you know? I mean, he's, does, he's, he's obviously he's doing deep, deep research. T- uh, 10 years sometimes it's taken him to write one book. He's putting all this time and effort just to unveil stuff that that's amazing. So yeah, he's talking about his book. Can you guys please just go and uh, support this gentleman? You know, he does a great job of explaining this. Yeah, thank you. The book is the Antichrist and Captain, the one we're talking about. And I do have other books and materials, some out, uh, many coming in the not too distant future. But this one, the second edition of the Antichrist and Captain, which is massively updated, goes to press this month, and people can order it now. Mm, so you can perfect. you can get it now, and you just have to wait for it for a few months, but you can order it now, and. Uh, it will be more expensive uh, soon when it goes to press. So now's the time to get it and you can save a little bit. In any case, I want, you know, let me point out, uh, I don't make money with this. I put far more of my own resources and money into doing this effort over the decades, uh, like several times more. I don't make money with this, but if there was somebody out there, you know, and, and I'm, in other words, I'm like Paul, I live off of what I earned um, in IT to this point in time and um i still do mm. but if somebody wanted to offer the resources i don't have them prophecy house the publisher does not have them if they wanted to offer the resources to put this book or other materials uh, of mine into the hands of pastors throughout the world i would gladly do that and so would the publisher at no charge mm. but somebody needs to cover the cost to do the printing and the mailing and that kind of, of thing the distribution just the the actual cost of it so just putting that out there if there's somebody who wants to help with that. And um, 
So continuing with this, um, you'll notice the unicorn on the uh, cover of the book looks gray or white for the most part, mm -hmm. kind of ashen or pale gray, right? This is how it looks in CMYK. It might even look a little whiter than this in, in the normal uh, color gamut or spectrum that book covers are printed like uh, paperback books, mm -hmm. for example, with offset presses. That's not actually the color of this unicorn. If you could look at it in RGB on the cover of the book, and I'm going to show it to you here in RGB, which is a broader uh, color spectrum. You'll notice the greenish hue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas the background behind it is actually white. Yeah. The unicorn's not. Yep. Now the unicorn is pale green gray. That's its actual color on the official coat of arms. Okay. You know why that's so significant? Because that fourth horse in Revelation chapter six, the fourth horse of the four horses, the yeah, fourth horse. horseman's horse, uh -huh. the typical English translation is ashen or gray or pale gray, usually pale or ashen. Yeah. The actual Greek word is pale green gray. That's what it means. Wow. In other words, this unicorn is precisely colored to match the horse of the fourth horseman. And what that means is that Charles is the fourth horseman. Mm. And his name is death. He's going to be possessed by the devil. And the devil is death. You know, the death is going to be swallowed up in victory in due course when the Lord casts the devil down to hell yeah. at Armageddon, right? Mm -hmm. The last enemy to be swallowed up will be death. Well, the fourth horseman's name is death when he rides. And we know that the Antichrist, this first beast, the beast of feet, like a bear body, like a leopard, mouth like a lion, in Revelation 13, receives a mortal wound, right? And then he recovers from it in a way that the world starts to follow after him. Mm. And that's in Revelation 13. Yeah. And then he rules throughout the period of the Great Tribulation, the time, times and a half a time. And uh, he'll be possessed by the devil at that time. There are two individuals in scripture called the son of perdition or the son of destruction. Judas. Judas. Yep. Judas. Yep. Yeah. He was the other one right. that was possessed by the devil. Yep. Judas was possessed by the devil and then went to betray Christ at the midpoint of the crucifixion week. Yep. So the crucifixion did not happen on a Thursday or a Friday. It actually happened on a Wednesday. Mm. So he was led, you know, he, he was possessed by the devil, went to betray Christ, and then Christ was crucified on Wednesday, the fourth day of the week. And Judas was called the son of perdition. And that's a unique Greek word, which means destruction, but it's translated perdition because it, it's a unique version of destruction, if you want to put it that way. There's only one other person in scripture called the son of perdition, and that's the Antichrist, mm -hmm. the one who's going to be over a global government. And you see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's is there another interpretation for the word to be Apollo as well? I don't know. That's I've heard that from like Tom Horn or something. That's destroyer. Yeah, it's, it, it's destroyer. It's right? related. So, yeah, yeah, it's okay. related. Just yeah, wondering. there's a there's a there's a spirit, presumably a fallen angel, and I think it's Satan himself, Apollyon, who comes up out of the abyss, the pit of the abyss. Yeah, um, and goes Not into Revelation perdition. Yeah, yeah, he goes he goes into perdition. Revelation says, and why that's significant is the Antichrist is the son of perdition. Yeah. So in other words, it's another way of stating that uh, that fallen angel is going to possess the Antichrist. Yeah. It says he goes into perdition. Yeah. And there's not necessarily just one spirit possessing the Antichrist. You know, it could be a legion of spirits for all we know, right? 
It could yeah. be multiple fallen spirits, but we know for sure it's going to be the devil at the top possessing him as the son of perdition. Uh, that being said, you asked about this chain, Jason. Oh, I Josh. Did. Actually, I did, yeah. Oh, Josh. There's I'm a sorry. crown around his okay. neck. There's a okay. crown around the neck, and then there's a chain. The crown looks Yeah. Good. The chain is bound here yep. at the base of the coat of arms. These things are called compartments, where that ba at, uh, badge of the Black Prince is in something called a compartment. So there's a compartment beneath the Dexter Beast that has feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. Yep. There's a compartment beneath the Sinister Beast. The unicorn is called the Sinister Beast. And beneath it is another compartment in which is the Red Dragon. The chain is bound to the compartment holding the Red Dragon. And you'll notice the Red Dragon is not touching the compartment at all. Yeah. He's not touching anything in the official heraldic achievement here. Yeah. All of that is very significant. And you'll notice the unicorn's hoof, both of them, are touching the heraldic achievement. One of them is touching the compartment containing the red dragon. And then, of course, the chain is, is secured to that compartment holding the red dragon. This chain in heraldry is officially called a restrainer. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Second Thessalonians 2 talks about a restrainer that's going to be loosed. Chain. Hmm. When the chain is not bound, it's called loosed in heraldry. That's actually how they describe it. Wow. The most prominent unofficial version of Charles' heraldic achievement is shown inside the book as well. On that one, there are some changes. On that one, the unicorn actually touches the compartment. It reaches up and it touches the compartment. Hmm. The instant it does that, the unicorn rears back and lifts its hoof off of the compartment. Mm. The chain is loosed on that one at the same time. In other words, the, and also the demeanor of the unicorn changes from this almost graceful appearance, even though it's got the color of rotting flesh, to a very demonic, overtly evil appearance. Mm. The unicorn's appearance changes. So the unicorn is possessed, in other words. That's what it's symbolizing, by the devil. And the chain is loosed at that point. In other words, the second version, the unofficial version, which is the most prominent unofficial version of Charles' heraldic achievement, might as well be official. But it's portraying uh, Charles when the Great Tribulation starts, when he's possessed by the devil, in other words, mm. if that makes wow. sense. Yeah. So in other words, it's all very specific what they're doing with these beasts and all the symbols. And you talked about, you know, the heads and the crowns. You know, in Revelation, it talks about the number of crowns, talks about the number of horns, talks about the number of heads. All of those things are portrayed on this heraldic achievement. For example, if you count all the crowns, there are exactly seven. Yep. The beast has seven crowns in Revelation. Mm. Wow. Okay, it's, it's all here. So without spending more time on that, because we've got a lot more ground to it cover. Does, Josh. Don't worry, I counted them like 20 times. <laughs> no, I'm counting the 10 horns. I was counting the 10 horns, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and then 10, counting the unicorn's horn. I was just counting that real quick. <laughs> You'll be telling your children about counting crowns instead of sheep right. in your dreams. <laughs> no. Dude, all this, dude, I, I like studying the Black Nobility Committee of 300. All this stuff is like, I'm tracking on it, and I love it, man. I appreciate this. This is great. So, you know, I, I detoured. I apologize. You just reminded me that I didn't quite answer your question on Freemasonry and so forth. And uh, the Order of the Garter? Yeah, that belt, yeah. Yeah, so there are multiple orders of chivalry. Charles was always over all of them you know, as Prince of Wales. 
Mm -hmm. uh, this is the most important one, the order of the garter. Yeah. But the, under the order of the garter, just this specific order, you have the Priori de Zion, the Knights Templar, and they're called the Temple Knights today. There's, they're actually the guards of the British monarchy to this day. The Knights Templar are, but anyway, you have the Temple Knights, the Knights Templar, the Priori de Zion, uh, the Rosicrucians, the uh, organized witchcraft and Satanism globally. That's the reason I pointed out the number of buckles. Yeah, 13. On this garter. 13 times 13, right, you said? Yeah, it's mm. significant for multiple reasons. So the Countess of Salisbury was at a ball. This is This is the lore was at a ball with uh, the Black Prince uh, or the Prince of Wales in the 14th century. She was a witch. She dropped her garter. It fell off of her thigh or wherever. And the Prince of Wales picked it up. And rather than having her executed immediately as a witch, he declared that he would make it honorable throughout the realm mm. and actually made it the central symbol of the Order of the Garter. Now, in witchcraft, these buckles that I described, they're shaped like a horseshoe. And in this case, on the order of the garter, they're all very small. They're tiny. But they're tiny gold buckles, two rows of 169 edging the garter on the outside of it, interior and exterior uh, edges. So one gold buckle in witchcraft like that or a, a horseshoe-shaped buckle represents a coven of witches, ordinarily, 13 witches. When you have... Um, 13 of those, it represents a coven of a coven. When you have 13 times 13 of them, it's a coven of a coven of covens. And then they call the individual who's at the top a witch king or a witch queen. Mm. Well, actually, I should say uh, I, when there's a coven of a coven, then it's a witch queen or a witch king. When it's a coven of a coven of a covens, in other words, 169, tripping over my words here, when it's 169, <laughs> It's portraying a witch king of witch kings or a witch queen of witch queens. So what it's actually saying here in the symbolism is that the monarch of the day is a witch king of witch kings or a witch queen of witch queens. And so is the Prince of Wales of the day. Mm. So they're, they're over-organized witchcraft globally, Wicca. They're also over-organized over Satanism globally. And then there's Freemasonry. So how does that work? Well, there are the blue degrees. You know, there are there are basically two um, two sides traditions yeah. in Freemasonry. Yeah. Two sides. York right and Scottish right. Yeah. Correct. Two rights, but they have the blue degrees in common with each other, and those are the first three degree, three degrees, and those degrees originated in the lodge that today is called the United Grand Lodge of England, and that lodge, the person who heads it, the top Freemason of that lodge, is a knight of the Order of the Garter. Mm -hmm. Yes. And because he is, he's under the sovereign and also under the Prince of Wales of the day. Meaning, uh, all of that sits beneath mm -hmm. them, the uh, in this case, beneath Charles and Prince William now. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to everything I mentioned, organized Illuminati, the modern Illuminati or the neo-Illuminati, if you want to call them that, since Adam Weishaupt, mm -hmm. are also tied into and under the order of the garter. That's just one of the orders of chivalry being the yeah. most prominent one. But all of that sits beneath King Charles III and now Prince William. Is so, it also what about what about the Knights of Hospitality? Are they also underneath them or is that separate? I do not know the answer to your question on that. 
Okay. I'll have yeah, to what, is it, what does it read around that gutter? It says Honus or then Pence at the end. I don't see the middle. I don't know what to say about the middle. Yeah, you can you can Google the garter, the order of the garter, and you can see the full phrase. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's... In photographs of the actual order, of the actual garter, in other words, not just illustrations, but it says Honey Soit Queen Mally Pence. And I'm quite sure I'm butchering that translation from start to finish. So I probably have it completely wrong, but I'm pronouncing it the way that I would phonetically, just reading it as if it were normal English. But it's Honey Soit Qui Mali Pence. And what it translates as is uh, shame be to him who thinks ill of it or evil calamity be to him who thinks ill of it. That's what it actually says. Okay. So it's like calling a curse down on the person who thinks that it represents evil. And of course it does represent evil, right? Yes. So <laughs> it's exactly. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, yeah. You know, Man, all this stuff you're saying, I've, 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 I've in my notes. It's amazing. That's all. That's all amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All documented in great detail in the book. So. Yeah. But the point is, there are 24 companion knights also in the order of the garter. 12 for the British monarch. 12 under each of them. So 12 for the British monarch. 12 for the Prince of Wales. And then there are other knights in waiting and dames in waiting and so forth who are part of the order. But the knights of the order of the garter. Guess who they are? The knights. Yeah. Mm, well, aren't, I I believe that weren't they like aren't the knights like uh, people from other like countries that are also in royalty that they that they bring into the. Yeah, you're like, making me think you you read my book or you watched other interviews, but yeah. No, no, I'm I'm just I've studied yeah. the order of you're Garber. right. You're correct. So I yes, did, I haven't read your book yet. No. Uh, other <laughs> just, no, other I study this. Yeah, very good. So other uh, royal houses in the world are among them. Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, Spain's monarchy, uh, other prominent monarchies of Europe are among the knights. Yeah. But here's the really bizarre one also. Uh, Japan's emperor yeah, I was is one say of the knights. That. I was going to say that yeah. right now, man. I was going to say that. It's the really bizarre. Of Japan. He, yeah. he was one of them during, he was one of them before World War II. He was kicked out during the war and he was inducted back in after the war. Yes. And today his descendant is a knight in the Order of the Garter. Yeah. So in other words, all these other royal houses of the world are basically saying the British monarchy is our monarchy, is over us. And how bizarre is that for Japan when they view their own emperor as a quote unquote God? Mm-hmm. It's very bizarre. And uh, okay, so yeah, that's it. Keep yeah. going, keep going. So I'm Charles is fire. He's the prince of this world, genealogically speaking. Of course, now he's King Charles the third. And uh, and then they've got all this these other royal houses who are uh, you know acknowledging him as being over them. Because so now let me top. come back. He's at the top of the order of garter. So you guys got to understand this. He's at the top of the order of garter. And there's all these people that are, that are monarchy, like all other monarchy are, are knights, like he's saying. So he's at the top and they realize that and they recognize that and they have no problem with that, you know? So yeah, they're uh, like part of his extended round table, if you will. He's over all the other uh, orders of chivalry as well. Like there's the order of the bath, the order, order of the bath, the order of the thistle. There are some others that, that all have their own thing about them, but the order of the garter is the most prominent one. He's over all of them. So I want to come back to this calculation for a moment. Now he's King Charles III, right? Yep. He's no longer Prince of Wales. Now William is. So when Charles was invested Prince of Wales, he was made Prince of the Red Dragon or Satan's Prince. Mm-hmm. Revelation 1318 uh, commands doing the calculation for this first beast, right? And then 
the calculation needs to turn out to 666. All right. So here's the point that I want to make. And listen to this carefully, folks. It's really a very important point. Charles' title at this time in history no longer matters. It doesn't matter at all. He has been identified since the 1980s as the Antichrist. Since 1969, when his heraldic achievement was unveiled to the world and he became Prince of the Red Dragon, uh, you know, whenever that cut of arms was finalized, you know, and it wasn't till 1969 that the world first saw it, since then he has been the Antichrist, biblically. Mm. And he's been formally identified as such since my book was published in 1998. And even before that, when I was showing this to people from 1987, and a little bit before that, when Monty Judah was showing some of it, Monty Judah is the one that came up with the unofficial coat of arms in a library in Colorado Springs. And it was him with uh, his other Martin Marietta engineers who did the program to come up with the title, uh, Prince Charles of Wales is 666 initially. So in the, in the 1980s, he and some of his engineer friends came up with part of the calculation, these two names, one of them, Prince Charles of Wales is 666. Monty then found a part of that unofficial heraldic achievement on the cover of another book in a library in Colorado Springs. He didn't even have the, the full version of it, but the book had part of it. So I found both of those. And then, and then uh, uh, between Monty and me, we've got the Hebrew name calculation here. And Monty had that also mm. uh, pretty quickly. So that's all you need to say Charles is the Antichrist. There's an awful lot more to it and we're going to go into that a little bit but if that's all you had was the heraldic achievement that we've seen on the cover of the book and then this name calculation you need nothing more to categorically state charles is the antichrist biblically he's the one prophecy he's been talking about you know for 1900 plus years mm. okay it's crazy he just became king now like just i don't know like she dies not like this year and yeah then, you know, and comes king now and there's all chapter about what changes with him, you know, as king in the second edition of the Antichrist Captivity, that's already in it. So that's part of the book. One of the things that changes, and there are several things, but one of the things that changes that's that's most important is he's no longer prosecutable for any crime. Mm. You know, as sovereign, yeah. he can't be charged or prosecuted with a crime. Mm. What? Wow. Now, technically, whether they would yeah. try to get away with it, who knows, but technically he can't. Another thing is the the crown. You know, they state publicly that the wealth of the crown is the crown estate you know, between twenty. Yeah, they, they call it the crown, but the the crown estate between twenty and forty some billion dollars. Isn't it billion. trillion? It's actually worth trillion, isn't it? Because if it, it, he has, they have six point six billion acres of land, if I'm not mistaken. And if you calculated just that, it's like thirty trillion dollars, just the land. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, very good, very good, Josh. That's right. So I don't know if it's thirty trillion, but it's tens of trillions. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, and and basically what that's saying. <laughs> it's yeah, no, it's, it's in the trillions. Those nations that specifically hold the British monarchy to be their monarchy, you know, whichever nations those are, and today well, that would include. I'll, I'll list all of them if you like, real quick. Uh, Barbados, the United Kingdom, uh, head of state of uh, Antigua. Barbuda, Australia, Bahamas, Belize, Canada, Grenada, Jamaica, New Zealand, uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, St. Kitts, Nevis, St. Lu Lucia, St. Vincent, the Grenadines, uh, Solomon Islands, and Tuvulu. All those. 
Okay, and Canada as well. Okay, I already said Canada. So and Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I had all those nations, there. not the United States, but all those nations that that who are part of the Commonwealth, but additionally who view the British monarchy as their monarchy. Yep. Technically, uh, they're just leasing the land. The monarchy owns it. Yes. The crown owns it. Yeah. So technically, all the resources and the territory of those nations belong to the British monarch. Yep. As part of the crown estate, if you want to put it that way. And that would put the wealth in the tens of trillions of dollars. So technically, that would mean that the British monarch of the day uh, dwarfs the combined wealth of all the other billionaires on the planet. Yep. Yeah. And okay. you, you always see also, like, as you're, you notice when people are kind of trying to call someone the Antichrist, you notice it's either coming from the city of London or it's coming from the Vatican City or it's coming from uh, Washington, D.C., you know? So you notice that those are the three powerhouses, you know? Like, uh, it, it's interesting. <clears throat> I would always ask, yeah. like, who, who has more power? The Pope, the Black the black Pope, the White Pope, or is it, you know, the Queen of England or or the King of Wales? You know, who, who has the most power? So it seems like... So you know I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, I, I no. Continue your point, and then I'll dovetail with. Well, it. my my point is that's that's kind of where I, what I always ask, like who has more power. And I noticed when Queen Elizabeth was visiting the Pope, she doesn't like bow to the Pope. You know, like everybody else bows to the Pope, kisses his ring. I don't see Queen Elizabeth showing him that respect. And the 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 gifts that the Pope gave to her compared to the gifts that she gave to him, she doesn't seem like she's bowing down to him. So. That's what I personally saw, you know, but some people believe that all roads lead back to Rome and that the powers with the Orsini's and, and the Colonna's and them, you know, so it just, it seems like your, your, your uh, points uh, here are, are leaning more towards the, the, the power being here with the, with the Prince of Wales or now the King. So it's, it's cool to have both perspectives now, you know? Well, actually um, it's, it's not an either or. So we'll come back to that in a moment uh, okay. in relation to the Vatican and the British monarchy. Uh, so a lot of people look at Charles, for example, and they have a completely uh, silly view. They think that he is a goofball because of the way the press has seemed to portray him. It's a lot of it's a lot like the way people talk about Donald Trump, who don't like him. Mm -hmm. Totally detached from reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot like the fake news. Most of the stuff that people see in the news media on Charles isn't the serious stuff that's really happening behind the scenes. Uh, some of that's changed with the World Economic Forum. And, you know, once in a while you get some serious stuff. But the reality is that since July 1969, when he was invested Prince of Wales, he has been the top globalist on the planet, bar none, among the other globalists. When we talk about the Mideast peace process that exists today, the false peace process, Charles personally initiated it, and it's been under him the entire time. Mm. To give an example of how that works, uh, a lawyer who worked for both Charles and Diana and the royal family Lord, named Lord Victor Mishkan was tasked by Charles with arranging meetings between Jordan's King Hussein and Shimon Perez in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. Those meetings were called, uh, well, they, they took place in London and they led to something called the London Agreement of 1987, the former Hussein of Jordan uh, and Shimon Perez, who's now deceased. Shimon Perez was a knight of Charles and it was a lawyer of Charles who arranged those meetings initially. 
They led to the London Agreement of 1987. That agreement in turn led to the Madrid, Madrid Peace Talks and the Madrid Peace Conference mm -hmm. in relation to Israel. That in turn led to the Oslo process and Oslo 1, 2, and 3, including an intervening treaty with Jordan and Israel. The Oslo process broke down and led to something called the Quartet and the Roadmap of the Quartet. The Quartet was headed from its inception by Tony Blair after he was no longer Prime Minister of the UK under Charles. Uh, and then it was subsequently headed by other subjects of Charles, other uh, people of the realm, if you will, of the United Kingdom. To this day, that's been the case. And whenever you read anything serious about the so-called peace process in relation to Israel today, they'll talk about the quartet and the roadmap. What they don't talk about is the fact that Charles is over the whole thing yeah. and has been all this time. He's over the person who's over it, in other words. In the same manner that he's over the people who are in the order of the garter who are over nations. Yeah, and no, territories, people, royalty and leaders. Most people are not going to know. I've asked some people that are deep researchers about the Order of Garter, and they have no clue. So they're trying to keep all that under wraps, obviously, because of all the secret societies that are under it. You know, so I think it's a uh, yeah. A lot of people that I've like I've talked to have asked about the Order of Garter, and most people don't understand it the way you explained it or the way I've researched it. It's it's really it's it, it's really interesting stuff. You know, on on the power they hold. You know. Well, and that's just some of it. I mean, we can go right down the line. So, for example, the modern banking, the modern international banking establishment, as the world knows it today, most of it. I mean, it's a little bit different in Muslim countries, but outside of Muslim countries, and even in some Muslim countries, it began with the Bank of England. Yes. Which led to the Bank of International Settlements and the, uh, the World Bank and so many other things. The Federal Reserve, which isn't federal here in the United States, is actually controlled by the English Largely and, by the Bank of England. And look who didn't go, Who, whoever, whatever countries do not fall under that international bank are the ones that they use the, the military power of the United States to go attack. So you, you see like Afghanistan, they weren't under it. Iraq wasn't under it. North Korea is not under it. Iran's not under it. So every single country and also um, uh, Gaddafi, the one that Gaddafi had, Libya was not Libya. under it. We went into Libya. We turned that into, now they're under it. Now Afghanistan's under it. Now Iraq's under it. So as you see the city of London, which is not actually part of London, it's actually separate. And then you see the military arm of the Washington, D.C. They're not actually part of the United States either. They're separate. That's the military power that they use to just start putting these other countries into uh, the international bank. A lot of these wars were that was like the underlying reason, you know, besides the resources and stuff that, that we see, you know. Well, there's an inner yeah, there's there's an inner city of London. It is in London, but it's called the Square. It's yeah. also yeah, it's an inner banking. city, roughly a square mile. Yeah, and uh, they call it the city within the city. London, like a city inside a city, if you will. Yes, yeah. But but the point is, um, all of that is under Charles as king. Yep. Even through the Rockefellers and Rothschilds tied in, you know, the modern international banking system mm -hmm. tied in under the British monarchy all this time. Of course. So the modern international banking system is tied in heavily under the British monarchy. Um, to give another example of that, you know, everybody's looking at CBDCs today. Um, uh, banking digital currencies. Um, at any rate, uh, or programmable currencies. Liz Trust, who is recently for weeks, you know, just a little over a month, 
prime minister of the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, it was basically kicked out. She resigned, but Charles didn't like her mm-hmm. because she wasn't going to do exactly what he wanted on some things. Who replaced her? An Indian fellow who's a multi-billionaire by marriage. He married into a family whose father, his father-in-law founded, was a, uh, one of the major founders of Infosys. Infosys is one of the major companies over the push for CBDCs globally. Mm. And in the first week that this new prime minister, who's very wealthy in his own right, came into power under Charles, that prime minister spoke to the G20 and then the whole British public separately about CBDCs and the need for CBDCs going forward. Digital currency. In other words, the monetary system under Charles. Yeah. The future version of it, you know, that is tied in later with the mark of the beast. So... Anyway, continuing to that, uh, the United Nations, right? I point out in my book how it's most likely that the global government will be constituted actually under a reformed version of the United Nations with an expansion of the UN Security Council to 10 permanent members. Well, the United Nations exists because of the League of Nations, right? Mm-hmm. The League of Nations exists because of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, by and large. Yeah. So the League of Nations uh, came out of largely the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is also known as Chatham House in London, headed by the British monarchy. Uh, In this case, Prince Charles and now King Charles III for decades. The United Nations came out of the League of Nations. Well, the United Nations has a global security lecture series, you know, where there are lectures typically annually. It was founded by Prince Charles, who delivered the first global security lecture at the United Nations in person himself. He wrote it and delivered it. Mm. Why? (laughs) Everybody (laughs) talks about public-private partnerships as the new model. Uh, This fascism, public-private partnerships is the model for the coming global government. And, you know, through the World Economic Forum, everything is public-private partnerships, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And so-called su- sustainable development. Well, who is the individual on the planet who most popularized public-private partnerships? Charles is. Mm. He did that. When we talk about um, the modern eco-fascism, the so-called environmental movement, the green version of it, the green religion version of it, yeah, which everybody's talking about and is being used to impose stuff on the world today, through the World Economic Forum, through the United Nations, through other entities, that all sits beneath Charles, and it always has since he's been, since he was Prince of Wales in July 1969. And prior to that, um, the environmental movement, largely that version of it, was under Prince Philip. Yeah. Yep. And then the British monarchy. The modern environmental movement started under the British monarchy, as a matter of fact, going back to the British Flora and Fauna Protection Society of the 1800s, mm. which led to the... Uh, not in this order, but the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, the World Resources Institute, the World Wildlife Fund, Wildlife Fund in the UK, and then the other branches of it throughout the world now. Yeah, yeah, you know, and other nations. Prince Philip, all was, of it. Prince Philip yeah. is out shooting uh, tigers. He's having them get led by uh, by all these pigs, and he's out blah, shooting tigers. And then he starts the World Wildlife Foundation. You know, so he's he's like starting that to save animals, and he's out there having uh, hogs run across the way and it's leading a tiger out and he could shoot him like, you know, wherever he wants or elephants, all this stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. The guy's evil too. Same thing. Yeah. All of it was under um, Prince Philip for a while. 
and then and the from 1969, uh, it quickly came under Charles. So to to dovetail that now is something else that's incredibly significant. This statue here. Look at this statue, folks. This was unveiled to the world in the early 2000s, years after the first edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea was published. Mm. It didn't exist when the first edition of my book was published in uh, 1998. So in the early 2000s, this was given to Charles. It was commissioned by a Brazilian state government, the government of Tocantins. And on the base of this statue is the inscription, Savior of the World. <laughs> it's an angelic statue and it has Charles' head, his face. Mm, wow. And they're calling Charles specifically the savior of the world. And it's got a green marble base, you know, and it's surrounded by this um, crimson uh, velvet or felt, right? In this photo. Yeah. This was presented to Charles and it was photographed by the BBC and they reported on it. And they even reported on the fact that Charles was being called savior of the world with this statue by this Brazilian state government that commissioned this work of quote unquote art to him, but there's a full size version of it. They handed this miniature version to Charles and that's what the BBC photographed what we're looking at. It's a statue that's dressed only in a loincloth has Charles head and it has outspreading angelic wings standing atop a massive. Yeah. As, as an angelic figure standing atop a massive human bodies, looking up to Charles as an angelic figure wow. as savior of the world. Look like they're worshiping him. They're trying to grab his feet. Yeah. Wow. Well, yes, he's he's above their heads, and yeah. one of them is holding a bottle of wine. And there's a lot of detail to this that I describe in my book. Mm. But but the key things, one of it is that the full size version of this, and I'm choosing my words carefully here, uh, can be argued to be ten cubits in height. Wow. That's significant because there were two statues on either side, angelic statues on either side of the Ark of the Covenant. So not the two little ones that were that you see in artistic renditions of what people believe the Ark of the Covenant looked like on the lid. Not yeah. that, but two large statues that were 10 cubits in height each on either side of the Ark of the Covenant, you know, with a mercy seat and uh, above the Ark itself on its lid. Yeah. Anyway, those angelic statues were meant to represent cherubim. Satan was the most powerful of the the cherubim. Cherubim, you know. Yeah, cherubim, yeah. Yep, he was the most powerful cherub in heaven, the messianic one, the anointed one, before he transgressed and fell, before he sinned. He was the messianic cherub. There are two cherubim that were portrayed as angelic statues on either side of the Ark of the Covenant in Solomon's temple, inside the Holy of Holies, historically. This statue to Charles, the full-size version, is basically the same height. You could argue that it probably is, that it's 10 cubits in height. Mm. In other words, it's ready-made to go into the temple, oh, in, a, in a tribulation yeah. temple. It's the right height for it. Wow, that's what they're going to have. He's going to say, bow down to me, you know? Oh. Uh, yeah, and also I was gonna. And ask it has you, his head, his face. Gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask you. Well, if you know, I don't know if this is the time to ask questions, but if if he's if he's the antichrist, then who would you believe would be the false prophet? Do I um, do not see it yet, or is it? 
is it just we don't know yet or is it is it something that you you've kind of looked into so i do address it in the book okay Maybe. there's not proof there's not a level of proof where you can concretely say it's this person or that person there is a strong indication that it's probably the final roman catholic pope mm. the final pope of rome most likely Okay. Uh, why I'll come back to it in a minute. In a minute, I'm not just saying that. In other words, the imagery seems to pertain to the papacy. The argument can I be can made. I see that because he's going to. It could be somebody. Yeah, it could be somebody else. Yeah. But probably it's the final pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Mm, okay. The level of evidence that exists to identify the foretold Antichrist is going to be over a global government, which is what we've been talking about, yeah. does not exist for any other character biblically. Man. In other words, you can't categorically state right now who it is in the case of the false prophet. The day will come when we can, but we're not there yet. Of course. We are there, and we have been there for decades in relation to the Antichrist is going to be over a global government, which is why his title no longer matters. In other words, when I was saying that earlier, I was basically saying that that prophecy in Revelation 13, 18, telling us to do the calculation uh, for the man who has that imagery of the first beast— uh -huh. You know, to see that it works out to 666, that prophecy is already fulfilled. It doesn't need to be fulfilled anymore. It's already been fulfilled yeah. since the 1980s. That's yeah. my point. Yeah. Uh, wow. So the title no longer matters what his title is. It doesn't matter anymore. Because it already got fulfilled. Uh, yeah, exactly. So It's already fulfilled. We've yeah. already identified him, in other words. Yeah. The whole purpose mm -hmm. and point of that prophecy in this regard was to identify him. Now, there is... Another purpose, which has to do with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding on the part of the person who does the identification. And that actually relates to all my other books that are coming. Those books are as different uh, from others in related topics as the book on the Antichrist is from other books on the Antichrist. Mm. All right. they're, they're categorically above theologically other books that are on similar topics. So... They're, they're as different, in other words. So you can look at any other book on the subject of the Antichrist, and it's not going to give the evidence this one does. Yeah, well, I mean, just what, hard you, evidence on who the Antichrist just what is. you just what you presented so far, I haven't heard anybody, you know, go in that that deep of, of uh, or present that much evidence for sure. So and that's not even well, it doesn't that's even just, that's probably just barely on the surface, barely. Yeah, it the doesn't even your book. There's not a single one of the things that we've talked about true of any other human being on the planet. Yeah, not even one of these things. But they're all true of Charles. So when we talk about this statue, for example, it's got far greater meaning than what I've pointed out so far in this interview. And I do go into this in uh, the second edition of the Antichrist in the Cup of Tea. Mm. So historically, Zeus and Jupiter, you know, which were the uh, the way that the top gods of the pantheon of gods, you know, false gods, uh, were identified by the Greeks and the Romans. Yeah. Okay were typically represented as either fully naked in statues or dressed only in a loincloth. And in a few instances, in some instances, they also had wings. For example, they might have the eagle associated with them, you know, the wings of an eagle. Mm -hmm. But they were also, in some cases, portrayed with wings. Wow. In other words, what we're looking at here is a statue that's representing Charles as Zeus, Zeus or Jupiter. Yeah. As the top god in the pantheon of gods. Yeah. Or and they call him... They call him savior of the world. Yeah. Now, why is it, you know, there are, there are two significant things in addition to what I've just pointed out. One is that when Charles is possessed by the devil and we see the full-size version of this placed on the Temple Mount as the desolating idol, the abomination that causes desolation, mm. 
yes. spoken of in the Olivet Discourses and in Daniel 9.27, that's what this statue is going to be. Mm. When that happens and Charles is possessed by the devil and Satan is looking out of Charles' eyes, possessing his brain, for example, possessing his body, when he's looking through Charles' eyes at this thing on the Temple Mount, he's going to be looking at himself because it's got his face, Charles' yeah. face, showing himself that he is God, sitting where he shouldn't, right? Mm. Yeah. Sitting or standing where he should not. Yeah, at a newly constructed holy place on the Temple Mount down the road. Wow. So that's the first point. The second point, in other words, it's the devil showing himself that he's Zeus or Jupiter down the road. Yeah, the top god among the false gods. The top false god among the false gods. Yeah. Now, how does this tie in with the environmental movement? So I pointed out that Charles is the top dog, if you will, globally, among all the environmentalists on the planet, among all the world leaders, in relation to the eco-fascist environmental movement, the whole thing that's being used to eviscerate the world's energy systems and then to starve the world to death from lack of fertilizer and natural gas and so forth to freeze the world to death this winter, right? Yeah. To, to do a lot of bad things, and it's only just beginning, uh, starting with the energy systems. You know, it's not really about saving the environment at all. All of that stuff is under Charles. So what did they do here? Um, the Rio Earth Summit, prior to this statue being given to Charles, the Rio Earth, the Rio Earth Summit of uh, the late 1990s, 1998, was held in Rio de Janeiro. The key participants of that summit before it transpired had meetings aboard the Royal Yacht Britannia under Charles. Charles refereed those meetings. He invited the participants himself. This is before the yacht was decommissioned. So... You know, off the coast, as it were, of Brazil, I think it was, if memory serves. But Charles held meetings right before the summit aboard the yacht. And then because of the summit's success, Charles was personally credited by global leadership for the success of the Rio Earth Summit because of what he did aboard the yacht. Al Gore himself credited Charles for the success of the Rio Earth Summit personally. Wow. Well, because of that, Tokentons, this government in central Brazil, then commissioned a statue to Charles to hail him as the savior of the world environmentally. Yeah. As the environmental savior of the world. I knew that's the way you're going to go with the. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So as that's why it's got the green marble base and so forth. But yeah, you know, it was presented to him on the outskirts of the rainforest in central Tokentons. That's where they gave him the statue and the BBC photographed it and reported on it. And you can actually pull up an audio clip of the BBC reporting on it. In, in uh, I think it was 2002, but you can pull it up, whether it was 2002, 2003. Mm. Um, I forget now off the top of my head, but... Yeah, it's all right. Uh, at any rate, uh, the Rio Earth Summit led to the Kyoto Protocol in Japan, and the United States did not sign on to it, you know, a, a number of years later. Under uh, Bush, uh, I think it was, well, whoever it was, Clinton is who I'm trying to say. Um, and then I think it was Bush. Under them, they would not sign on to the Kyoto Protocol. So the United States did not sign on. Mm. That, in turn, later led to the COP talks, these global climate talks under the United Nations. Yeah. Uh, where OP stands for of party, of the parties. Anyway, uh, you had COP 12, COP 14, just a few off the top of my head, COP 15, you know, COP 21, COP 27, COP 26 in between, right? Mm -hmm. COP 27 was the one that was held um, just last month, this year. 
in uh, in Eero, in Egypt, Cairo, Egypt. So Charles has been front and center at those cop talks. Yep. You know, since he was credited um, for the success of the Rare Earth Summit at COP 15, which was held in Paris, France, hosted by France's president. You would have thought that it would have been Francis President or Al Gore or maybe the leader of the United States, if not one of them, who would have opened the event and or given the first speech at the event. And at, you know, because it was hosted in France. Yeah. And at that event, you had the largest gathering in the history of the world in one place at one time of international leadership. Mm. 150 plus heads of state, you know, the leaders of the nations, 190 plus uh, global leaders overall. So Obama was there, for example, for the United States. You would have thought it would have been one of them, probably one of the three I mentioned who would have opened the event and given the first speech, but no, it was Charles. He opened the event. He delivered the first speech. And when they did the group photo later, Charles, the main group photo, Charles was at the center of the group photo in the position of prominence among all of those world leaders. Well, then you had the later COP events. Again, Charles was effectively over all of them. Um, COP 26 held in Scotland. Charles again, speaking at it, opening it. Um, then COP 27 this year, because he was king, he didn't go to it. But days earlier beforehand, he organized and held meetings in London. So 200, basically all, just about all of the top participants in COP27 yeah. were in London, you know, under Charles on November 4th of this year, beforehand, days earlier. Also, 50 leaders who are 50 individuals, I guess I should say, and some leaders, were also meeting in London under Charles to hash out exactly what they were going to do at the so-called Mount Sinai overlooking COP27 at the same time where they delivered a fake set of 10 commandments. The climate 10 commandments, basically, right? Uh-huh, yeah. All <laughs> yeah. of that was under Charles. Man. He hashed wow. a lot of that out, kind of like he did the Rio Earth Summit beforehand. Yeah, wow. Even though he didn't attend, it was under him. How am I going to sleep tonight, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, so much information, man. So much information. Um. Is there any way we can maybe have a part two with it with you? Is that all right? Because it looks like we're uh, we're getting to about an yep, hour and yep, forty minutes. Running. Yep, sure. Let's we, do we, that. We usually do I'll about an hour and thirty. I, I love this guy, dude. Tim is awesome. This guy. Yeah, is bro. Art. Jeez, I would like to. Man, maybe sometime we can have. Uh, I like to. Holy have... Spirit did come to you and talk to you about this, man. He put <laughs> yeah. it on you. I guarantee that. <laughs> We'll we'll do a part two with you, and then I I like to try to have a roundtable sometime on you know with maybe uh with some you know you Gary Wayne maybe Ryan Peterson something like that, and uh, we could talk about uh talk about. I would make that a part three if you don't mind. Yeah. There's yeah. There's at least you know, and folks, no matter how much time I'm taking here, this is just. I would love to be here. There for is three so hours. much more in the books. <laughs> I mean, even even ten hours, we wouldn't yeah, get to yeah, everything that's significant in the books. In other words, I'm tracing so many things including a lot of other things that charles is over showing that in fact he's been the top globalist on the planet all this time yeah and i'll just throw this out there before we wrap it up tonight please uh, in the next couple of minutes the world economic forum and the great reset you know the great reset is effectively the actualization on the ground if you will of the new world order plot 
conspiracy. Okay. People think of Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum, and his book titled The Great Reset and talking about COVID and so forth, right? Klaus Schwab founded the WEF, the World Economic Forum, in 1970, just months after Charles' investiture as Prince of Wales. Klaus Schwab is a Knight of Charles. Mm-hmm. Has been for a long time, another Knight of Charles, like Shimon Perez was before he passed away. Charles is the one who announced the Great Reset to the world, months before Klaus Schwab ever mentioned it. Yep. Months before Klaus Schwab published his book. Charles announced the Great Reset, that exact phrase. And Charles announced the phrase, build back better, all lowercase. Mm. The three Bs are for 666. Mm. Lowercase Bs. Wow. The phrase, build back better. The phrase, Great Reset, those came from Charles. Months before the phrases passed the lips of any other person on the planet. <laughs> I remember that too. I remember that video when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, the Great Reset is Charles' agenda. Schwab is just helping to carry it out. Of course, yeah. In the organization he created, the World Economic Forum. Yeah, Klaus Schwab. We're gonna go. We're gonna do a World Economic Forum episode on Friday, guys, uh, with Gary Wayne. So this is a good uh, uh, prelude to that, you know. Yeah. So okay, so guys, and you're gonna find out a lot of you know Saxon Gotha is German, you know Prince Philip, he's German, you know. you know, uh, you're going to see a lot of the, the stuff going back to Germany. So Klaus Schwab, obviously, is German. His dad was selling, you know, missiles to the Nazis. And it's just it, it just is all super interesting. It all ties together. Well, but... you know, they had a German schoolmaster, Prince Philip and Prince Charles both did. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they brought over a fellow by the last name of Han from Germany yeah. to uh, continue that in the school. Charles, uh, due to World War II, he came out of Germany. But Prince Philip was in Germany being educated for a time under the Nazis. And um, Philip is mostly Greek, but there it's Saxe Coburg Gotha. They changed the name to House of Windsor to make it more English sounding after World War I yeah. uh, because World Wars I and II were both fomented out of Germany. There's a whole lot of other stuff on that, but I know we have to go. So yeah, yeah. I'll just, if you don't off. mind, interject, uh, check out my materials, this book, The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. You can get it now. You can order it right now. The massively updated second edition. Here's the cover from Publisher Prophecy S. Prophecy S is the publisher. And let me see if I can uh, show the web page here again so that people can see it. This is it. You can get some CD and DVD sets now that are related. Um, you can order this book. You can get my book, North Korea, Iran, and the Coming World War. And just to put a bug in your ear, folks, and, and uh, Josh and Jason, I have, you know, there are people out there who claim they've identified the four horsemen of the apocalypse. No, but I have, and I do it with actual evidence. So two of the books that are out, I've said who the fourth horseman is, that's Charles. I identify the second horseman in that book, North Korea ran in the coming world war with hard evidence, just as significant, uh, showing that the symbols actually literally exist. You saw some of that, one of my presentations on Blucifer at DIA, right? So I've identified, I believe, the other two. But again, what I want to say is they all literally exist. And so I've got another book coming, not mentioned on this site, dealing with the first and third horsemen, actually showing the horses and their riders and giving the evidence on that. But there's an awful lot coming, all available through Prophecy House. You can order some things now and others later. Yes. Thanks for interviewing me. Thank Thank you. you. That's awesome. Check out his books. Check out uh, prophecyhouse.com. Uh, check out his YouTube page. 
Um, and uh, what I like to always do is end it in prayer. So let's go ahead and end it in prayer. Mm. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, Thank you for a clear connection. Thank mm. you for introducing us to Tim. I pray for a legion of angels to protect him and all mm. his research. Uh, he is uh, obviously uncovering some stuff that the evil, uh, uh, that the devil, Satan, and, and all demonic forces and the principalities of evil do not want him to uncover. So thank you for uh, bringing mm. him to our show to show our audience who, uh, you know, who is the, the Antichrist, who, who could be the Antichrist with all this uh, evidence. And, and thank you for showing him that. And uh, Lord, I just want to mm. say, just protect him, protect this show, mm. protect us, protect Jason's mm. family, my family, anybody that's listening right Amen. now that has any, any strongholds that are trying to hold them back from not doing your will, Lord, I ask you to break those chains, Lord, break the chains. Uh, mm. I appreciate everything you do for us, Lord. We Amen. love you so much. And we appreciate everything you do in Jesus name. Amen. So Amen. Thank you. Everybody listening, please Praise subscribe, God. hit the bell, uh, you know, share this with as many people as possible because we really, really want to, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're out there and uh, we really appreciate doing this for you guys. Uh, please leave some comments below. Uh, if you have any questions, I'll, I'll try to email Tim the question so he can try to answer it on the next show we do. Uh, I'll, I'll chop it up with Tim and see when we're going to be able to get together. Uh, thank you guys Excellent. so much for listening and we really, really appreciate you guys. We love you. Go ahead. You can go to shoot your YouTube out real quick. I'm sorry about that. Okay. No, thank you. So you can just cut it in right here. So you folks can visit my YouTube channel as well. It's author Tim Cohen run together as a single word. I will have other um, social media platforms where they're not subject to censorship, but you can also check out my social media on Telegram, uh, MeWeGab, uh, YouTube, Facebook. I'm not using some of those platforms much. Uh, the ones that censor, but you will still find a lot of great stuff on them. So I just want to mention that. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, guys. Hey, hey, hey before we go, I want to say a prayer for my buddy Daniel uh, for my work. He's also, he's sick. I don't know what he has, but uh, God, do you, God, you do know what he has. Mm. And I want you to put your healing hand Amen. on him, please, Lord. And and please look out for his family, too, because at a time like this, they really need you. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So sorry about amen. that, Josh. In Jesus' name. No, no. Thank you, bro, for, like, for reminding name, yep. me. Yeah. yeah. In Jesus' name, thank you.